read to you from 1 Samuel 18. Last week we were up in 28, and now we're kind of ratcheting back to 1 Samuel 18. And so read with me. It's a little bit long, but you know, um, I didn't make it up. Jesus, or the Holy Spirit inspired it, so here you go. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond of love between them, and they became the best of friends. From that day on, Saul kept David with him at the palace and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a special vow to David's friend, and he sealed the pact by giving him his robe, tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander in his army, an appointment that was applauded by the fighting men and officers alike. But something happened when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed Goliath. Women came out from all the towns along the way to celebrate and to cheer for King Saul. And they sang and danced with joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with tens, ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, in fact, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave like a madman. David began to play the harp, and as he did, when it, as he did whenever this happened, but Saul, who had a spear in his head, and suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David jumped aside and escaped. This happened another time too, for Saul was afraid of him and was jealous because the Lord had left him and was now with David. Finally, Saul banned him from his presence and appointed him commander over only a thousand men. But David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. And next page. One day, Saul said to David, I am ready to give you my old daughter my older daughter, Merib, as your wife. But first you must prove yourself to be a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battles. For Saul thought to himself, I'll send him out against the Philistines and let them kill him rather than doing it myself. Now we're skipping on a little bit. David was delighted to accept the offer. So before the time limit expired, he and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines and presented all their foreskins to the king. So Saul gave Michal to David to be his wife. When the the king realized how much the Lord was with David and how much Michal loved him, he became even more afraid of him, and he remains David's enemy for the rest of his life. Whenever the Philistine army attacked, David was more successful against them than all the rest of Saul's officers. So David's name became very famous throughout the land. And the Lord bless the reading of his word. Just uh, to fill in what, what you missed in the middle is that uh, David, of course, was successful against the Philistines. He got um, Saul's daughter, Merib, and married her. And in the meantime, uh, Saul's other daughter, uh, Michal, uh, fell in love with David. And the challenge was this. If you can go and you can get for me a uh, hundred uh, Philistine foreskins then you can have my daughter, McCall, for your wife as well. Well, David went out, 
and he got 200 Philistine foreskins. And that's when you see the rest of the scripture pick up there at the end. One of my favorite songs from the 90s was Bobby Brown's My Prerogative. You you know how it goes. I I can do what I want to do. It's my prerogative. I can live my life the way I want to. It's my, 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 my prerogative. (laughs) Remember words joined in the video with those rebellious pelvic thrust dance moves? I can do it, but I won't do it this morning. When I watch that video alone, I'm, I'm dancing around. I liked it. That's right, I thought. Brother with some talent and the gift and success can do what he wants to do, right? But with a string of arrest, jail time, and drug abuse following Bobby Brown, the fallen king of R&B as his wife, probably under, under the influence of some foreign substance, as she proclaimed him at a music award show, our so-called king of R&B was declaring that in his prerogative to live and have and chase and do whatever he wanted to do, he was not the king he thought. He was not the player he thought. He was not the master he thought. And neither are we, as King Saul discovered in this chapter of Samuel. On the contrary, he and we need someone else's prerogative to rule ours, to hone ours, to guide ours for our own good so that we are not consumed and controlled by what we seek to control and consume. We need a savior. We need some cosmic help as human beings in our relationships and dealings because we are so often played and mastered by all the wrong things and yet fail to play for and be mastered by what will help us and love us and change us for the better. This chapter, 1 Samuel, is about the tussle and resolution between being a player in life and being played, of being the master of our destiny and being mastered by a greater purpose, power, and person. There is a master play going on in 1 Samuel. First of a man, Saul, within himself, then of a kingdom of people hanging in the balance of a God who has chosen and raising up a king to make things right. I'm going to give you some background for those of us who hadn't been following the series. Saul has been rejected by by God as the king because of his disobedience to God. And God has promised him that his throne and his kingdom will be taken and torn from him and given to one who had a heart for God. And that person, the new king, we get a glimpse of uh, better in the chapter before this one. David, a shepherd boy, already has been anointed by Samuel, who's the spiritual leader at that time. He's been anointed by Samuel as the next king. We see him in chapter 17, slaying the giant Goliath. And in doing so, begins the domination of Israel over the Philistines. Begins his confirmation and rise to the throne. Saul takes to David and thus takes David back to his palace to serve him. Now, this is more than a good deed, but a master play of Saul to once again gain control of a kingdom that is slipping out of his hands. Hands that are driven by a heart that is mastered by sin. 
And like Saul's, we need another master in our lives beside ourselves because alone we are, like him, mastered by our sin. Like Saul, we often play and act with faulty desires. If we look at chapter 18 in the beginning verses, we can see a contrast between Saul and Jonathan. Jonathan and David are described as having a bond of love, a a, a, a it's a decision to, to, to befriend one another. But Saul's relationship with David was one of manipulation. Saul was a user. He, he doesn't really want David as a friend or, 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 or someone nice to have around. He wants da- what David can do for him. The Bible says that Saul wouldn't let David go home. He was Saul's success slave. And he's driven to act sinfully toward David because he was feeling inadequate. He he was looking to David to bolster what what he was, to, to be a human prop for Saul's falling kingdom, to be a help to his insecurity in being not so good a king. But look at the results of acting according to sinful, faulty desires. It backfires on Saul. Scripture says that he brought David and he became close friends with his son first. Then he puts David over his army, obviously to gain the victories he needed to feel secure as a king in the eyes of the people for his own glory. And David is praised with this following line in verse 7. Saul has slain the thousands and David tens of thousands. This backfire of faulty motives and desire be, desires become Saul's master. Instead of playing David because of sin, he gets played. He, Saul, gets shackled with anger and jealousy. If we look at verse 8 after this, this praise of David, it said, This made Saul very angry. What's this? He said, They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And then the scripture goes on to say that he, he, he got so angry after being tormented by a spirit that he threw a spear at David. He's no longer a stable king. He isn't even a pretty good people manager. He he isn't even a good politician or manipulator. Saul actually gets mastered by his sin, stooping to becoming a a murderer, a, a jealous mess. He becomes whipped by his whipping. There is a famous line from a movie called The Players Club, and I don't recommend that you see it. It's a story based on the reality of, of college girls earning money working at gentlemen's clubs. And in this movie, there's this line, and, and you don't even have to see the movie. There's this line that's always shown in commercials that says, Girl, make that money, but don't let the money make you. You know, and it's a nice line, right? But it never works that way. It's never that easy. It will always make you. There was one time I was beat up in my life. And it was all an attempt to be accepted and be secure. You know, I was the smart kid, a little on the nerdy side. I was hanging with these, you know, cool guys. And we went to play football. And I, egg, and I was egged on by my so-called new friends, burning with desire to be in, picked a fight with the smallest guy on the football field. They're like, Howard, push him around, man. Come on, look, come on, do something, man. I'm like, okay, I'll get him to fight me. 
I just had visions, you know, of, of dealing with this and getting accepted. It was all evil and wrong, but I wouldn't be in. I pushed and pushed him, and I remember he, he didn't want to fight me. He's like, what's wrong, man? Let's just play football. And I was like, and I get back to the huddle, man, what's wrong? You can't get the man to fight you. What's wrong, man? It's so corny. You know, this is middle school here. And, and I pushed him, and I pushed him, and he opened up a can of you-know-what on me. I mean, fist of fury. I mean, I didn't know the brother was in the youth boxing league. I mean, he was just picking his punches. I mean, I was... And my friend's like, man, how you let him beat you up like that? And to poor Saul and injury, I mean, his mom brought me into the house to clean me off and put ice on my face. It was our sinful desires and actions are a lot like that. You and I will always be made. We'll always be played by our faulty desires and our motives and actions in a less than perfect attempt to control what burns us. We will get burned in our fallen attempts to be the master. We, without exception, will be mastered. Some of our fallen insecurities, some of our desires to be accepted Some of our desires to be loved have driven us to use people, to be used, to to seek to to be the master over that burning emptiness that you have. Consequently, some of you have taken jobs and professions or entered relationships that were sought out of faulty desires. And now, guess what? They are mastering and ruling you and driving you to desperate measures and even some of you to despair. Some of our discontentment and disgust of who we are and aren't have caused us to become jealous and angry and enraged and biting at others who have failed to make us feel comfortable in our insecurity. Or maybe some of us have become uh, people users and now it's impossible to rightly and justly trust Or love anyone but yourself. Like Saul. Many of us, unfortunately, in our jealousy and anger, have become people murderers in an an out-of-control hatred for ourselves or our lives and or, or that of others. And how did we get there? Trying to be the master of our issues, of our inadequacies, to only have it explode in our faces. And what's interesting is about that, we're so quick to point out and cry over the fact that things aren't right. And and we want to blame God and others and hate and be jealous and get angry. But here's what we so often fail to see, that things may not be right because we aren't right. That things are messed up because we are messed up. That things aren't coming to us the way we want because we aren't where we should be in our hearts. But... Sin's mastery is only one part of the master play we see here in this story. There is also a master plan. David and Saul were not free agents, if you will, in this story. They were the chosen players in this and the plan of God. They were the chosen players in the plan of God. The unfolding of this story should not come as much of a surprise when we consider There is already a plan in place by God. Now, let me help you remember all that has taken place. Samuel tells Saul 
that God told him to tell, God told Samuel, tell Saul that the kingdom would be torn from you and given to another. It's already been said. Then we see that the Lord sends Samuel in chapter 16 to a house, the house of a man named Jesse. And he's commanded by God to anoint the youngest shepherd boy, David, to be the next king of Israel. This was the plan, the master plan. And Saul and David and Samuel and the people and the events become the players and props in the master plan. In God's purposes, God's ultimately ultimate and personal desires. For the world and for people. But we can take it one step further. And see that they're actually played for the plan of God. That they are directed and turned and given and taken away. As God sees fit to use them in their abilities and even their lack of abilities. And even their craziness and their sin and their fallen desires. Which means Saul's sin. Saul's issues were played and used by God for his final purpose and plan. As a matter of fact, this text says, we read it, that God sent, yeah, good God in heaven, sent a tormenting spirit to overwhelm Saul. That God allowed a spirit, an evil spirit, to tip the scales and lead Saul in the direction that his evil heart and issues were already bent. Let me explain it this way. It would be like giving someone who struggles with speeding a Porsche 911. It'd be like giving a wino some, just putting before wino some whiskey, a dope user some crack. God feeds him what would lead him over the edge for his plan and for his purposes. Now, a little aside here. God is not the author of sin in Saul's life. As much as a credit card company. Extending a high limit, high interest credit card to someone who is greedy is responsible. That somehow they're too predisposed to go to say no, but not to blame the credit card company, even though its plan is to build another high interest portfolio. One difference, though. God's plan is always right. It's always just Because he's God. We can't see it from all angles because he's God. But we know that Saul is played in who he is rightly and has become for the plan, has become something for the plan of God to get to a place where he will lose the kingdom. Remember the plan where he will actually become unable to mentally lead because of his obsessions. That's been the plan all along to have Saul lose his throne. And then you have the other side. David's successes are not his own. His being in the right place at the right time are not his doing. His being loved by the people was not even his desire. He was a shepherd boy just a few days ago. It was all in God's plan. But also this. It was God's plan for this shepherd boy who's having a good time just following sheep and doing the right thing to become hated by the king of Israel. To be set up to be murdered. To be put in a position to be the king's son-in-law as a setup 
to be sidetracked in success by Saul's daughter, to eventually, as we will see in, in coming chapters, to, to, to be an outcast. No, this is definitely not David's plan, but as God's purposes for David, for the plans he had for him, and nothing could or would stop David's success or David's external struggles. You see what's at play here. God is trying to separate the two reigns by making them enemies. David's reign will never be about Saul's continuing legacy or Saul's appointment or even the people's. But David's reign will always be about God's plan. That David would have a stake in the royal family married to Saul's daughter, though set up for ill gain by Saul. The master plan was at work. The master plan was going to work. Now, I know that in this room, there are a number of stories and testimonies of stress and struggle, both in seeking to do wrong and in your seeking to do good. That God and ha- has and will allow some of you to, like Saul, come to the end of yourself so that his purposes will be accomplished in your life, to actually have your life crash, to actually have some of you hit rock bottom, to actually have you come into adulthood maybe without all you want or want to be, and to have that break you and even injure you, to have you even throw salt into your own wounds, so that just maybe you will be led to cry or break For his plan of help and salvation in your life and for this world. And and I say this carefully. You know, whatever it is, maybe it's the debt or maybe it's the drug use. Or maybe it's the way your issues stopped you from getting where you wanted to be or have. May be the best thing. Yet the worst feeling thing that could have ever happened to and for some of you according to the plan and purposes of God. You could have been in a better feeling place, a better looking place, but separated from the good call of God on your life to him. Like Saul, you could have been trapped thinking you were okay, able to, in your apparent control of things, marginalize or even kill the idea of reality of redemption of God for you. But he had some of your lives and will have some of your lives fall apart so that Christ can rise above and be better than you for your sake. And even things outside of your control. Some of you may not have work or job that works for you or never had a father or a good family or had anyone ever really love you or not have been the most beautiful and most you know the, the most accepted or had your heart broken by someone whom you've trusted like david may maybe it's designed not it's not just designed for whatever or, or just fate but because of the purposes and plans of god for you apart from it you may not know what it is to be unconditionally loved or trusting in God alone, or held by the security of being his child, or, 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 or broken of something that may have hurt you in the end. Now, here's the irony. You may be kept safe by God in the hardships. 
that the safest place for you is in his arms. Yes, broken and, and, and confused and having spears thrown at you or, or set up for failure, which means there is no more secure place than then the redemptive purposes of God for you, regardless of what's going on. But even for those things, we aren't as likely to blame God for. What about the successes? What about the gifts? What about the ways you should have been left behind or killed and weren't? The way you got the position you didn't really earn? I mean, I heard one pastor say that some of you here passed a test that led to the degree, that led to the job that you should not have passed, but somehow it all worked out. Some of us are sitting in good neighborhoods and relationships, got a good husband, got a good wife, like my dad told me the week I got married to Kelly. You lucky to have that girl. Like David, there's no good reason. The spare of hatred should not have led some of you into the crazy house or to commit some crime or to be dead or to be socially paralyzed. As a matter of fact, every single one of us here is sitting on more than a cushion seat this morning. We are sitting up here on and with issues that if they really surface would destroy us. That if they really surfaced would destroy our families or our jobs or our looks. But because of the plan of God, you have been kept and preserved and even sobered. Let me say this. And we can't always say how and why and when it will all fit. But I can say in confidence that God is this word sovereign. That he's in charge. That he's working his plan out for his good and for those who love him, their good. That he isn't to blame for sin or sin results so that through it all we can see finally that there is a master redeemer. What is God's plan? Look at what happens after Goliath and then at the end of the next text again this song after he slays Goliath. Saul has killed his thousands and David his Tens of thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this? He said, they credit David with tens thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they will, they'll be making him their king. He said it, didn't he? And then at the end in verse 30, it says here that, that whenever the Philistine army attacked, David was more successful against them than all the rest of Saul's officers. So David's name became very famous throughout the land. His plan is more than anything else to be proclaimed and glorified among his people. To have us be thankful and in and, 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 and that contentment and prosperity to have us look to him for our own sakes. Saul and David are played for God's love to his people. That his people would look to David as the redeemer and thus look at the God who sent him to look to the God who appointed and anointed him to, to be cheered and followed. But, but more than a victory dance in the end zone, what they want is, they, is God intended to, for them to follow David out of idolatry and into true worship. To follow David out of bondage and into the freedom of the children of God, out of fear and being small and nameless or forgotten or despised, into being secure and sure and loved without end. 
And with that, that Saul would come to an end in the wake of David. God's Redeemer's victories so that the people would no longer trust in futile attempts to master their lives with right choices or try to master their lives with strong choices or be driven by rage or fear or out of control issues, but to have a Redeemer to look to. You know why this pastor here came to the Lord? What led to that? I found myself in an algebra class that I couldn't handle with a teacher that basically let me know that I wasn't as smart as the other kids and that she couldn't hold things up for slow students like me because I was in an honors program and not performing up to the status I had. And as I look back, because when I told my teacher after a first quarter 56 average that I was going to pray to God to help me, she laughed at and responded with, God is too busy to help you. She said he's too busy holding up the moon and sun to help an undeserving student stay in the honors program. Prayed for help. And in that prayer for help with algebra. I relinquished my heart to the Lord, seeing that algebra was only the beginning and also seeing the success it seemed to bring in my mom's life who had just come to the Lord. See, God is playing and has played Christ in the master play for our lives. He has used him to outshine and take the shine away from all that woos us away from him. Or hurts us or lords over us. See, Jesus, the final version of David, was torn and beaten that in the lack of our mastery of our lives and the twisting and turning of God's hand in our lives, making it easy or hard, that we would cry with adoration and help to him as our Lord and King. That we can be the people of God, that we can be given and know the grace and love of God. That now, because of Jesus The fact that you were a user and abuser, that you know what it was to not have a father or not to be loved or heard, that in the sphere of these circumstances beyond your control, though through it all we can seek and declare hope and help because of Jesus, that he can take the turmoil and make it lead us to touch and taste his grace, that he can take what we have brought into our lives to hurt us like Israel did with Saul, and use it to lead us to him. That some of us would have never cried out and called to Jesus as Savior if we didn't have the struggle. That you would not have known freedom from being mastered by sin and emotions without a king to lead you out, without a king to die for your sins. That your jealousy and anger and discontentment and uncontrollable rage against everyone and everything can have an ending point in Christ. By accepting his security. By accepting the fact that he can, will, and does assume the throne of our hearts rightly and well, for all the unknown happenings and dealings and mishaps, if you ever wonder what is going on or where you can go, you and I can now look with confidence to the one who plays for the good of those whom he loves and is actually played by God, dying on the cross, being treated like a sinner, being outcast to offer grace to those who need relief and rest and assurance. 
whether you're beat, whether you're torn, whether you're angry, defeated, jealous, mad at the world. As the scripture says in contrasting Saul and David, you may have killed a thousand. I mean, you may be the master over a thousand. But what about the tens of thousands? What about for what will ultimately destroy you or confound you or condemn you or confuse you? What about the things that keep you from freedom in yourself and for others in this world? Christ, the master redeemer, comes to make sense and bring security to the master plan. And he overcomes the mastery of sin and becomes the means of the master's play for our lives. God is making a master play for our lives. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ways you use people and circumstances and issues to reveal your Redeemer, Christ, to us. We pray right now that you would help our hearts to cry out to Jesus as our King, falling in love with him, falling down to him, trusting him, Lord, help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.